Welcome to Lead Sex at Nova School of Business and Economics, the podcast where every week we go over the major trends that are impacting change and transformation in our world. Welcome to another Lead Sex episode. Today we are going to talk about that the economy is going into recession and the stock market is going up. What's going on? We are recording this in October 2020. Uh, pandemic is going on. Uh, elections in the US are coming. Uh, so let's see what's going to happen. Um, with us, we have a very special guest, uh, Michael Stefan Duisburg. He's an experienced and sales-driven executive in the areas of financial services, ICT, and sustainability. He's a partner at Task Force Management on Demand, an RGP company, as well as board member of the partner board of Bearing Point Holding, BV, and senior advisor at Red Hat. Michael takes over executive management responsibility for complex change processes and turnaround management, a lot of what this podcast is about. He has an amazing career in some top companies like IBM, EDS, Ipova Heinz Bank. In his own words, as he was defining before the podcast, he's a banker, a IT freak, and very keen on sustainability. He's joining us from Munich today. Michael, thank you so much for sharing your experience with us. And together with us, we have also Julian Gast, that is our student co-host today. Julian, if you want to do the honors. Yes, thank you, David. Thank you for the introduction. Um, so yeah, what a year 2020 has been. Um, so it's basically been shaped by the global pandemic of COVID-19, as you mentioned already, David. And um, the outbreak impacted many things. So we're all wearing masks. Um, we're not, um, we, can't, we can't travel freely at the moment. And it also impacted the economy um, quite severely. So we are facing a global recession at the moment. Uh, so people lost their jobs, they're being furloughed and, and companies went bankrupt. And on the other hand, when you look at the stock markets, they're going up um, after just shortly dropping and some even surpassed all time highs in July and August. So what is going on here? Is that not contradictory? Michael, what do you say? Well, Julian, thank you so much for inviting me. And this is um, contradictory and not contradictory. First of all, the observation is right. The market is going up and the economy is going down. That should be a disconnect. But basically, financial markets and particular capital markets are independent. And they are fueled by supply and demand. And right now, due to the cheap money, two words are the answer to your question, cheap money, which is fueling the global equity markets. And that is something we have been observing for quite some while since the financial crisis in 08. We had very cheap money flooding markets and every time things are developing into an economic direction um, people are looking to put their money into some sort of assets let me revert back to something which is hardly discussed at the very moment everybody's talking about Corona, COVID-19, this is just one factor. There are 
three factors actually in the marketplace. One we already discussed in the summer of 18, it was called overcapacities, global overcapacities. And you had a crash in the marketplace in October 18. You had uh, a slight increase in the interest rates, quantitative easing was being reduced and suddenly the markets went down. First factor. Second factor, and that's what David definitely is standing for, is digitalization. Digitalization is something that really will impact our future work life, and it will sort of reduce the global labor workforce by 30, McKinsey says 50% worldwide. And the third factor is now sort of like the the icing on the, the topic, uh, the, the, um, the icing on the cake is COVID. This is now a very um, bad comparison, calling it the icing, but it's basically just something we are seeing right now. The other factors, overcapacity and digitalization are staying with us for most likely more time than COVID will stay with us. So we have to look at those three factors and we hardly find that discussed in CNBC or at Bloomberg. They only talk about very obvious factors, very short-term factors. So the answer to your question is money markets and equity markets are supply and demand completely different from the overall economy and they're being fueled by cheap money. I have, I have just a, a couple of, uh, of follow-up questions on that. Still, we are talking about, for instance, when you go into an Apple that uh, went really quickly from 1 trillion market cap to 2 trillion. Um, it's still um, a technology business, a retail business, a luxury business, but still like multiples are through the roof right now. So do you think that's um, the cheap capital, also the money that is in the market, a lot of like, um, I don't know what's your take on actually like people speak about Robinhood and the retail investors uh, that they are driving all these valuations and that's looking a little bit like um, uh, almost like gambling because people have like almost negative uh, or negative interest rates in some case. Do you think it's, um, there's like, the market is a little bit overvalued right now? Or do you actually think the digitalization and, and the, the power that these companies like Apple are, are taking actually justifies it? Well, not every company is being back to back on track, basically all companies who have physical contact, like tourism, like retail, like uh, all kinds of um, where you have people meet and greet, they are suffering. Whether it's Hertz, rent a car that went under chapter 11, whether it's um, the flight, uh, Lufthansa or um, airlines worldwide, so that sector basically is lost. 
the focus is, and then now I revert back to your question, the focus is on big pharma and big tech. Those two sectors are the winning sectors. Now, do the prices, does the market cap actually reflect that? For Apple, I'm quite sure because Apple has a lot of cash. So it's you're just buying the cash flow. Whether it's estimated correctly, whether some analysts have done the right work. But if you look at the price earning ratio, if you look into and start more on detail, it's highly overvalued, highly overvalued. Even if you take a discounted cash flow approach, it's highly overvalued. So the question is, yes, big tech is gaining. Are there other factors? And you mentioned Robin Hood. This is a, a new development, which I think is quite exciting, that youngsters are entering the marketplace, trying to outperform the, the white old men in the marketplace. And they have been, in some aspects, quite successful. If you line up the number of Robin Hood users, the increase in Robinhood users with the increase of the stock price of Tesla, not Apple, but Tesla. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect match. It's a perfect <laughs> match. And Tesla is completely overvalued. We got into Tesla at the price of $43. We had a huge uh, performance contribution and we sold them at 260. The reason being that we also make an assessment, not just on the numbers, but also on the management. And Elon Musk, as fantastic as he is, he's a high risk for a fund manager. If you have a company focusing only on a single person. And at That's that time, he just got divorced from his wife and his five sons. And he was going through the yellow press, being ditched by the ex of Johnny Depp. Now, if a financial professional is reading something like that, that top management, single entrepreneurship is having other things in, in their mind, their mind is somewhere lower than their belt, then you have to be actually getting out of it. Now, you can say, how stupid is Michael? because he sold at 260 and the price now is, I think, over a thousand and 300 or so, it's completely overvalued. This company has not made money at all. And I wouldn't be surprised that we have here the typical bubble. And I'm putting those two in contrast, not Apple, but Tesla is completely overvalued. Apple does have a lot of revenue stream, cash stream. So there's a big difference. Apple has an innovation gap since Steve Jobs has left us all. The innovational drive has left Apple. This is still in existence with Tesla, but it's for both, in my opinion, overvalued.
And uh, Michael, just uh, sorry, and I'll give it back to you, Julian. Um, something that you mentioned that is very, uh, it's not exactly on this topic, but it's very on the topic of this, of this podcast. And it's great that you mentioned um, that um, artificial intelligence automation will probably decrease jobs. We've seen anywhere from 30 to 60% during the next 10 to 15 years. One of the, when we talk about uh, digital transformation um, in our class, actually, one of the things I mention often is a personal digital transformation, which is how people should adapt to what's coming. Because even like professions that a lot of people are interested in, like, oh, a digital marketing um, and all these things, these are jobs that very soon will be done by AI. What's your recommendation for someone in their 20s now? Um, what should they do to prepare for the world that's coming, in your opinion? Job-wise. Understand, understand AI. It's not just a two-letter word, but it's more. What does it have for implications on your job profile? And get in touch with anything digital whether it's blockchain, whether it's internet of things, whether it's 4.0, get in touch with all that. And you were referring particularly to uh, digital marketing and viral marketing. I have uh, six children, five boys, four of them are all into digital marketing. <laughs> uh, even if they have studied something completely different, like uh, my son Max studied psychology in Vienna. He went into a startup in, in Berlin um, called Kajak, uh, Kayak. Kayak is something that gets you traveling into flights and all kinds of things. And all he does is digital marketing. He's earning a lot of money. And his job actually can be done by somebody else. So you always have to be somebody else. I mean, AI, some smart program. Now, in order to understand what he, Max, is doing, or Cornelius is doing something very similar at um, Boston Consulting, and now he's at Sat1 Pro7, uh, pre-product placement, viral marketing, all that can be done in the analysis, analysis and even into the marketing phase by some AI program. I've been advising IPsoft. IPsoft is a company, a startup in Mumbai, in New York, run by a very smart Indian, very rich son, Indian son, who they have now about 3,000 employees. They have Amalia. Amalia is a lady who talks to you and she learns while she's talking to you. She is really getting into the details of any task. She can do insurance claims, for instance, Allianz is using them, all kinds of access using them. So here we have knowledge workers people who are working in call centers who are doing more difficult tasks than just getting two people connected, they can be replaced completely by Amalia. So your question was, 
what should we advise young people to do? Get ahead of the curve. Don't talk about it. Get into it. Understand how algorithms work. Uh, I, at, when I was at IBM at the, in the 80s, I started working on knowledge-based systems. Uh, we had uh, a programming language uh, prologue. And I discussed it the other day with somebody who is advising companies and making programs. He says, it's, it's still the same. It's sim still the same principle. You have to really get into learning it, not just talk about it, not just write about it, learn it. How to program algorithms. Which, you, what, uh, which uh, career would you recommend? Now, mathematics, coding? <laughs> Well, I by profession are a mechanical engineer, then I got an MBA, and um, I mentioned before that I'm very keen on sustainability. Do what a professional does, get into it. Stop talking smart about things, now those kind of uh, party talks, and get really into it. Now, don't spend your night sleeping, spend your night learning, programming. You really have to be a tough cookie. There are so many people, particular Asian people, who are working so hard. They are working around the clock. We Western people have still sort of a, a first world problem we have to balance our life and work. Yeah. Who the fuck cares? Excuse. Uh, what is your life balance? Uh, COVID suddenly told us that people cannot cope with life anymore once they stay at home and they have kids all of a sudden. Um, oh, my God. I mean, they disturb you. They interrupt you. All that. Your wife is asking you questions and making you take out the garbage or all kinds of things happen in life. You really have to, as a young person, get professional, deep learning. And That's amazing also. and very refreshing. Julian, <laughs> go for it. And especially also, uh, as you said, with... Um, getting into the, the, the digital technologies, right? Um, as as um, the big tech companies um, have been doing the past decades. And um, to get back to, back to the stock markets again, um, you mentioned earlier that um, two of the three um, things that caused um, now the, the development are digitalization and COVID. And uh, my question to you is um, how did the acceleration of the digitization due to um, COVID-19 now influenced the development of the stock market. Is there now some, some hope that, um, that the companies will um, all now um, digitalize, uh, digitalize their um, company faster and that's why it's going up or how do you think it's influenced that? Well, having to communicate through video calls and uh, David was mentioning it before that Skype has been around for a long time and suddenly we are all doing it as being very natural. Um, give you an example. I was giving to all my managing directors in the 90s a clear statement, travel only for customers. 
don't do any internal meetings, just use, and I put in every office, in every city, I put a video uh, call room, highly expensive at that time in the mid 90s. It was hardly used only if I forced them to, because they were all um, sewing their flying premium points endangered with their favorite airline. So they still flew for some afternoon or some evening to California and made some big travel expense. Suddenly, everybody is using digital ways of communication. So the reasoning, you don't have to argue anymore. It has become natural. Now you cannot use it all in every segment. I mean, only the, the um, um, consulting, the um, parts where you're not in the productive environment. But Trade, uh, exchange traded asset managers worldwide. And the guy who is running Europe now, he opened up his Zurich, his Vienna, his Frankfurt office, etc. And he asked how many people actually need office space. And only 20% of his employees said, I need to go to the office. At Red Hat, if I want to go to the office, I need the permission of the global head of HR. So there is no more reasoning as far as do it differently. So your question was, does digitalization accelerate? The answer is yes. Okay. And um, also within the, uh, within the, big tech companies, because as we saw, they actually um, had the, the biggest growth in the, in the past months. Or how is that explainable? Well, at EDS or at IBM, we had already since 15, 20 years only workspace for 60% of the people. For the rest, it was plug and project. You came into the office, and you were sitting down someplace where there is space. So it will have a tremendous impact on urbanization. Do we still need huge office towers in the center of big towns? Or can we stay like David somewhere on the beach and still be as productive? And more answer, productive. <laughs> more productive, yes, because he's highly motivated. He has sunshine, he has water, he doesn't have to commute. It even helps us to reduce our carbon footprint. How much waste of time we have, our daily commute, 20 miles in Europe, up to, I think it's the average in Europe, 20 miles, it's uh, 35 miles in the US, daily commute spending somewhere in your car being basically distracted either by traffic or by by calls you have to do in your car so this will really have a major impact on our environmental and uh, carbon footprint 
And in theory, it could also have impact on stocks like Tesla, because one of the um, one of the self one of the key factors for self-driving cars is that time in the car could be used as a as a productive time. Since you don't have to drive, you could be working and you could take as part uh, of your office time. But in the end, if you have less office time, even like the the need for cars could decrease in itself. So what you're mentioning is very interesting because if um, if we keep having these changes um, in the near future, what we might have is a complete change of um, the composition of a lot of um, of elements in society and other industries. Like real estate could be affected, transportation could be affected as it's already being, tourism can be affected. So we we are seeing like a a, a strong reshuffle of um of what's going on in terms of uh, of what we thought was was going on do you think we are going back to because there's also also there's a lot of the pendulum swing every time there's like a a, a massive um event so when when we have covid everyone suddenly is like okay now everything has to be remote will never be the same again everything now we are going to change we've decreased our carbon footprint we are changing our life. It's the same thing. At the beginning, everyone started working out over the internet. And then suddenly people just went back to watch Netflix and eat again. What do you think are like the, the pendulum swings that are going to be permanent and the ones that are going to go back, Michael? Well, you don't have to explain anybody anymore that work can be arranged differently. For us in the IT industry, it was a sort of a natural. We always have been the last 15 years working from home, from the customer, from abroad, wherever we were, we have been able to uh, put our laptop up or our mobile. So it will be a lasting change. It will have a major impact on every individual sector, whether it's our way of how we live, how we consume, how we share. And I think this is a very important point, the shared economy. None of my kids, my six kids, none of them owns a car. They only use cars on demand. So here you see a major shift in the next generation. The status symbol of owning a car is gone. You can use it when you need it. Autonomous driving, you've mentioned, David, is something I'm a bit skeptical about because it will take quite a while to really become effective. It will only be effective in urban areas. It may be effective on uh, large roads like autobahns and, and major highways. But it is something that will take time. It's not our major focus. Everybody is hyping this topic, but I don't think it's going to happen very soon. By the way, I have been autonomous driver for over 100 years. I use a train. <laughs> <laughs> I have so many status points on my train card 
at the Deutsche Bundesbahn because you enter point to point, you put up your laptop, this entire section is being used by business people who are actually working or eating or reading or sleeping, but they're having value time while getting from A to B. So the need for autonomous driving is only there where you don't have railroad tracks. Now I used, I, I worked, I, I lived in Luxembourg the eight, last eight years. Luxembourg wants to become the most sustainable city, the most sustainable country in Europe. They're putting back the railroad tracks into the street. They tore out in the 70s and 80s. They're having now trains running in Luxembourg. There is still somebody sitting up in front, but it's driving autonomously. But otherwise people wouldn't enter it because they would be afraid. <laughs> uh, so things are changing back. Uh, Luxembourg has almost, um, there are French people, Belgian people, German people, they all commute every day, daily commute in and out, in and out. So all that can be done by train in the future. So they have uh, Jeremy Rufskin, you probably know him, this professor in the US, who made a 460 page blueprint to change Luxembourg, to become the most sustainable city country in Europe. And one small feature is putting back tracks into the road that makes you just sit there and get from A to B with a very low carbon footprint and you're able to work or sleep or whatever you want to do. Interesting. Okay. Um, and such, such development, I mean, that would, that would be, uh, uh, also contradictory to the development of Tesla's um, stock price at the moment, right? I, and, um, I was wondering. Yeah, sorry, sorry. You I was ahead. wondering now um, if the if the development of the of of the stock of Tesla and um, also others like um, other companies that have been um, growing a lot now in the in the crisis like um, Apple, um, Microsoft, etc. Um, if that growth is actually sustainable and and what when do you think it will normalize again well we have to divide that's why i made when david asked me about apple i wait went to the other corner and brought tesla onto the table you have apple you have alphabet google you have amazon you have microsoft and a few other well managed, highly dividend-driven, still growth-driven, but also dividend-driven, who are doing very well. Amazon, I have to put a bit aside next to Apple or Google, because Amazon is just overbought by Robinhood or whoever. If you look at the PE ratio of Amazon, I think it's 400, 500 something. I mean, we all have learned in our textbook that a price earning ratio of 20, 30 for a value stock, maybe 50 
for a growth stock, that is a nice ratio. Hey, 400, 500, I have never seen so far in any literature that this is a healthy environment. No, making no money, just having cash being burned. And that's why I'm warning very strictly. We have a bubble like in the late 90s, who, where we had this uh, dot-com bubble. Everybody who was able to have, an, have some sort of internet access suddenly had a million dollars on his account. That is not the right approach. This is over-inflationary and will be bust in maybe six months or nine months, the latest. Okay, so, so what you would think you think we, we are going to see um, a big correction on, on the market like we saw a little bit earlier in the year? Well, at the very moment, everybody is like getting back to 08, 09, we had huge monetary, the central banks were dominating the field. Now we have governments dominating the field. We have, we have made a shift from monetary policy to fiscal policy. Now, as we know, governments are not the best entrepreneurs and everybody is now running around and waiting to get some help from government, whether it's an airline, whether it's a steel company, whether it's anything that is not high tech is trying to get governmental help. So the disconnect and your question was, will there be a correction? There must be a correction. We have overcapacities. Everybody has enough clothing, enough glasses, enough cars, enough. We have over, global overcapacity. Yes. We have digitalization where people are in the higher not the blue collar worker, but the white collar worker, the knowledge worker are being made obsolete and redundant. So you have huge unemployment running in the near future. Now, unemployment means people are no longer having money to consume. Either they don't have the cash or they are afraid of the future. So the topic is when will that all occur? Will government always be able to sort of have a soft landing like in Japan? Japan busted in the late 80s and has never reached the Nikkei Dow Jones level of the late 80s until today. We are talking now to, of, about lost decades in Japan and that will happen to us as well. We will have either a hard landing or perhaps through governmental help and fiscal policy, a softer landing, but there will be a landing. What, what would you recommend for, especially, I think we were talking about Robin Hood and you're talking about um, a lot of like our students um, and um, our audience, some people in their 20s, 30s, what would you recommend for them to do right now? Because I think there's a lot of fear of missing out of everyone is like, oh, I'm making millions. And uh, you mentioned as well at the beginning that uh, a lot of these uh, young investors were actually bidding the market somehow. And, um, and, 
and their friends are are watching, but they haven't been through crisis. They haven't. They don't really understand uh, larger forces in the economy and so on. What would you rec- What would your advice be to them? Well, as as I mentioned before, be professional. Be very much into the roots of your knowledge. Just just don't make this big blah blah talk. But, but regarding investment. Investments? Yeah, regarding investments. Because a lot of people are going in because uh, they go on, on past results and their friend bought Amazon and Amazon is up so much and uh, Tesla is just going up and beating every expectation and they are going on these things and people are like with fear of missing out. Um, how would, what would you tell them like to do with their money? How would, how would you think they should invest? There's an old investor who once said, he has passed away quite some time already. If you, I cannot tell you how to make money fast. What I can tell you is how to lose money fast mm-hmm. by trying to make money fast. Robinhood is trying to make money fast. It's only driven by bottom line thinking. What is in it for me? That is wrong. We have to shift away from our shareholder approach to a stakeholder approach. There are more people involved and successful companies who will last longer always have a stakeholder approach. Just focusing on the bottom line will not lead to success. Maybe temporary success, but not lasting sustainable success. So uh, giving you an example on Amazon. Amazon is not just delivery. It's not just prime. It's not overnight. It's also Amazon cloud. I mean, AWS is a huge cloud company coming out of nowhere. So here you have a company which is diverse in a number of fields. They have a huge public cloud environment. They have a a private cloud environment. They have a hybrid cloud environment. They're really doing a fantastic job next to Google and Microsoft and IBM is going, trying to get into through Red Hat into that environment. And they're going to, to health as well, really strongly, together with Berkshire Hathaway and JP Morgan yes. as well. Amazon Food, they, they bought Whole Food Markets. Whole Food Markets, we know in the US, is a company that is very much into healthy food. So there is something which is already from the very origin, something very sustainable, not cheap food, healthy food. So looking at uh, customer value, uh, having the ability to add value, but not just fast money. So I believe Robinhood will end just like the dot-com bubble. Julian? Yes? Last questions so that we can be respectful of Michael's time. Um, so yeah, I mean, for me, the that was uh, um, I think the, the most interesting uh, conclusion. 
um, what you would recommend for for um, for private investors and um, yeah so from from my side um, Michael I would... Michael I would like to thank you so much it's very refreshing to to know about I would say that the the uh, sometimes pretty unique experience which is your longevity in the tech business which is usually um, a business um, that is very not a lot of people have gone through the startups and the big companies and uh, have such a wide experience on the sector combined with the banking perspective and so on it's so enriching and um, and I, I really liked how I think just to, to finish a little bit on, um, do you see history repeating itself? One thing I've, I've, um, I've been noticing is that key success factors tend to be the same over and over again. Um, and they are about curiosity, hard work. You mentioned like Asia, people are trying to, are working 24-7. I think there's a, um, there's a great book called AI Superpowers that speaks about artificial intelligence and mentions that like the, the pace of work in, in Asia, it's by far superior to uh, the US or to Europe. And, and in the end, um, that for people to be successful, uh, history is repeating itself a little bit. It's hard work, uh, curiosity, dedication, do you see what are the key success factors just to, to finish the, the podcast for you in all these experience you have and all these bubbles and bursts and everything, what you think makes people consistent and bring consistent results throughout time? Well, what we haven't mentioned so far is education. You are a professor at NOVA. I'm working for my former university in Seat in Fountainbleau. Mm -hmm. We are very fortunate to have a generous donor. His name is Andre Hoffman. He is fourth generation Hoffman Laroche, vice chairman of Hoffman Laroche, and he has uh, helped Inseat to open up an institute called Hoffman Global Institute for Business and Society. What can business do to make an impact in society? Shifting from shareholder value to stakeholder value. To look at a more sustainable, more entrepreneurial way and not just bottom line management. This is a no brainer. Even I can do it. Every McKinsey consultant can do it. It's now, cutting costs, laying off people, this is not what an entrepreneur over generations is doing. He's trying to pass on his company, his values to the next generation. Now, I think we have to change our attitude in education, in business, uh, schools overall, to educate Julian and Marius to be more complex, to be more broader, not just focusing on any sort of analysis number driven. This is a no brainer, any bot can do, any AI can do, but look at more overall 
picture, end-to-end way of approaching a problem and looking at the consequences, what it does to us individuals and us in society. Perfect. Michael, thank you so much. I also believe, and it's the reason why I teach, that it's the way to to create a better society. Um, What we talk about actually in our course, we start, you can't really change digital transformation or change companies or anything if you don't start by changing yourself. And uh, and what you're trying to do is a little bit like that 360 approach of um, helping people become the better, the best versions of themselves. And through that, they will create the best versions of companies and uh, the best version of, of society. So I think we are very aligned in that. Thank you so much, Michael, for your time. Um, it was amazing. Uh, we've uh, I've seen that um, you have so many areas of interest and would love to talk to you about sustainability again in the future and understand a little bit more about your perspective on the topic. Um, and would like to thank you again for your time. This was the Lead Sacks podcast, and it is produced by Marika Agelberg, Marius Busen, Philippe Santiago Lopes, and David Bernardo Santo. We'll see you next week.